Bokotov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day on this beautiful uh, Yom Shani. It is uh, Labor Day here in the United States. And so uh, everybody is off, or most everybody is, unless you work in retail, I suppose. And uh, hopefully you're having a great, uh, a great day, uh, a great day of uh, relaxation and rest for those of you who have the benefit of not having to work today. And it is my joy uh, to be with you. Even on Labor Day, I come to the office. I leave my happy abode and travel all the way to the office because no greater love hath any rabbi than this, that he give up his Labor Day to teach Torah. <laughs> Just kidding. It's my distinct honor and pleasure to be with each and everybody today. Very glad you're with us. We have had, I, I meant to mention this yesterday, we have had a, uh, a whole slew of people um, join us on our channel uh, uh, since Shabbat. I mean, it's been remarkable. There's upwards of, I think last time I checked, it was getting close to 40-some-odd people that have subscribed to our channel just since the, I, I checked it on Friday afternoon or whatever. And so that's beautiful. It's wonderful, amazing. So if you are with us and you're new to us and you're watching the Aliyah Day, we want to welcome you and thank you and uh, just say what an honor and a joy it is to have you with us. I pray that everything that you receive on this channel, and also please don't forget the, the Sar Shalom Synagogue uh, channel, everything you learn and, and, and are able to see on all of that uh, should richly bless you. So thank you. If you are just tuning in and you're, you're new to us and you have not yet subscribed, please do so. Please subscribe to the channel. Click the little bell icon that's right next to the subscribe button to make sure that you stay informed and up to date on everything that is coming out because we are constantly working on new material and it's, it's uh, something that we're, we're working even now. We're talking about videos that are going to happen now for the the High Holy Days, and some other things that are happening, and so it's going to be wonderful. Uh, be sure and like this video too. Thank you so much for doing that, and share it. Share it uh, to all your friends, all your family, all your co-workers. Your co-workers are off today, so it's a great time for them to sh sh have a little light shown in uh, their wonderful uh, direction. We are in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is Parashah Shoftim, which means in Ivrail, Judges. That's the name of the Parashah. And it's fitting because it's dealing here with a lot of the leaders of Israel and what it means to be a leader, what it takes to be a leader, why we should have leaders, etc. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to look at, let's see, we are in, if you have the art scroll, Chumash, we are on page 1029. This would be the book of Deuteronomy, otherwise known in Hebrew as Devarim. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, is the beginning of the second Aliyah. Yes, thank you. 1029. Uh, 14, it says, When you come to the land that Adonai, your God, gives you and possess it, and settle in it, and you will say, 
I will set a king over myself like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set over yourself a king whom Adonai your God shall choose. From among your brethren shall you set a king over yourself. You cannot place over yourself a foreign man who is not your brother. Only he shall not have too many horses for himself, so that he will not return the people to Egypt in order to increase horses. For Adonai has said to you, you shall no longer return on this road again. And he shall not have too many wives, so that his heart not turn astray. And he shall not greatly increase silver and gold for himself. It shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself two copies of this Torah in a book from before the Kohanim, the Levites. It shall be with him, and he shall read from it all the days of his life, so he will learn to fear Adonai his God, to observe all the words of his Torah, and these decrees to perform them. So, just a, a, a note here as we, re as we read this. It says, the king's responsibility. Now, I want you to just think about how remarkable this is. The king's responsibility is to write for himself, you know, ostensibly by his own hand, uh, two copies uh, of the Torah. As it says in the comment commentary, the king is to keep one copy of the Torah in his treasury and the other one with him at all times. As the verse indicates, these scrolls are to, be, are to remind him at all times that august though his position may be, he is a servant of the Torah. This is especially important in the royal treasury where the presence of his wealth could easily blind him to his responsibilities. If the king inherited Torah scrolls from his father, he must nevertheless write one new one for himself. But if his father did not leave him any, he must write two. That's according to Rambam's opinion. So even if his father said, listen, son, I've got my scrolls, you can keep them. He still has to write at least one scroll for himself. Now, why do I emphasize this? Well, the reason I do is because of the pervading thought among many that the, the King Messiah, that is the King Messiah Yeshua, uh, abrogated the Torah, um, nullified the Torah, you know, did not follow the Torah himself or what have you. And I just point this verse out because when the Torah is teaching us about who should be king, it's not just that he should be one of our brothers. It's not just that he should be a humble person and, and so on. But that he should actually have two Torah scrolls for himself. Why? And the reason is so that he should know that he is always to follow the Torah no, long, no matter how powerful a king he is. As it says in another source, the king is the first citizen of the nation. Meaning that he is our example. God knew that the king was supposed to be the one that is to show us how to live. And so in this case, God is saying, you're going to show the nation how to live. And in order to do that properly, you need to make sure that the Torah is always before you, that you literally have a copy on you at all time. I saw a depiction at the, um, where was that? It was the, we were in Jerusalem and we were at the, at the Temple Institute, which is uh, just up the main uh, big staircase there by the courtyard, just down the, the corridor from where the, the Golden Menorah is. They have a, um, a little museum in there. 
and they have a depiction of the king, and he's actually wearing, he's wearing the Torah in like a little, like a little holder, like they have the holders for the people that are working out and put their iPhones in there. Well, he has the uh, little holder on his arm that had the Torah scroll in there. So that the king has to have it with him all the time. And I love the insight here by where, where it talks about that he's supposed to have it in his treasury. Why? So that when he walks into his treasury, he understands that even though he might be very, very, very wealthy and have all the gold and silver, that the most valuable thing in his possession is the Torah. Now, if God said this for the king, does it make any sense that the, that the, the king Messiah would come and just nullify the Torah? I mean, that doesn't, does not at all. So it's something to remember that, that the king himself has to have a copy of the Torah with him. So it says, it shall be with him and he shall read from it all the days of his life so he will learn to fear Adonai, his God, to observe all the words of his Torah and these decrees to perform them. So, so not only does he have to actually have it with him, but then now the Torah is commanding the king that he has to read from it. Why? So that he will observe it. So if we teach that the Messiah, the King Messiah came and nullified the Torah, then among so many other things, one of the things that we're saying is he violated this Torah mitzvah, Hasveh Shalom, which means that he cannot be the Mashiach. So if we teach that the Messiah came along, King Messiah, and he disobeyed the Torah, he read it and said, ah, I don't think so, and threw it away, not only is that problematic on so many other levels, but let's just deal with what we're reading right here. That would be an absolute violation of what the king is supposed to do as commanded by Scripture, which means it's a sin. Now that's powerful. I, I bet you 99.9% .9 of your people who love God, your friends, I should say, who love God and love the Messiah have never heard that before. Verse 20, so that his heart does not become haughty. Why do we study the Torah? Why do we obey, obey the Torah? What's the number one reason why we do such a thing to obey the Torah? The Torah tells us because we don't want, he, God doesn't want us to become haughty. Haughty over his brethren and not turn from the commandment right to the left so that he will prolong years over his kingdom. He and his sons amid Israel. He and his sons amid Israel. Now, uh, today is interesting. We're going to read a couple of insights. Uh, and I always say what I'm about to say with, with an abundance of caution because we live in a world, we live in a Western, a Greco-Western mindset that likes to just be, um, yeah, what's the word I'm trying to think of, compartmentalized or whatever. But I'm a big fan of rabbinic commentary, obviously, uh, Orthodox Judaism. I live Orthodox Judaism. But there's times, there's brief moments, there's, there's a, a moment here, a moment there, where you come in contact with rabbinic thought on a particular topic, and, and you have to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't agree with that. And we're going to discover a couple of those uh, topics today. Um, let's look at a few uh, insights, shall we? That's the end of the second reading, by the way. Let's look at a, a couple of insights. Um, I say that, you know, disagree with the rabbinic commentary. That's, you have to say that with, with lots of caution and with lots of knowledge. You can't just wholesale reject something 
Um, and especially if you don't know anything. Uh, I, I know that. Anyway, I just want to point that out. So we have a um, couple of comments I, I wanted to mention from yesterday. Because we, yesterday we got to talking about the very errant idea that uh, it was it was just a bunch of uh, rogue men who made up a bunch of nonsense and we're not supposed to follow the laws of men. Um, we dealt with that at length yesterday. If you missed yesterday, you need to go back and watch it. Uh, and it's very important. So there's an insight here about the introduction to this uh, Aliyah from the Kehot Chumash. And it says... The first authority to whom we must submit our behavior for scrutiny is our own. Inner, that, that is our own inner judge, our intellect, whose task it is to govern our emotions. I want you to say that phrase with me. Govern our emotions and actions according to the Torah's instructions. You know, people often say, I'm led by the Spirit. What they don't understand is that the, the, the Torah is the Spirit of God. That's what the, Tor that's what the Torah says of itself. That's what the Midrash says of, of the Torah. The Torah is the Spirit of God. So to, to many people, I would say to most people, when they say, I'm led by the Spirit, they would, that what they really mean is, I'm led by my inner emotions, my inner feelings, what I feel. You know, the next time somebody says, "I want to feel," I'll, 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 let me let me feel led. If I if I, if I feel led, I'll do it. You should just hand them a bullet and say, "Here, feel led," and let's go. So it says, "Inasmuch as the mind of by nature rules over the heart, we can use the unfortunately large untapped power of our mind to both steer our life in the direction we know it should go." as well as to release our innate love and fear of God for their imprisonment at the hands of our ingrained materiality. Now, that was a very poetic way of saying, don't be led by your emotions. Be led by the Torah. Be led by intellect. Be led by logic. How many people have gotten in trouble because they married somebody that they fell in love with? Um, and they, you know, they ignored the fact that the person was a horrible person, was un was ungodly. Uh, you know, they didn't. They they were just a, they were, they had issues, but because they loved them and they had some emotional attachment, and then you know, two two days later after the marriage, they're wanting a divorce. The point being is, we should not be led by our emotions. We need to be led by Torah. The Spirit does lead us. Absolutely, He does, according to His Word. If the Spirit of God is leading you to eat a uh, ham sandwich, that's not the Spirit of God. You say, well, I, but I felt good about it. Somebody told me one time, this lady, um, she said, you know, she's one of those people that got, was led all the time. You'll notice about people that are led by their emotions, a.k.a. the spirit, quote-unquote. And by the way, that's also an ace in the hole. If you tell anybody God is leading me, that what you're really saying is you can't argue with me about it because it's God. How can you argue with God? So it's a way for people to kind of, um, oh, how should I put it? They, It's a way for people to say you can't judge me or you can't tell me I'm wrong because God led me. How can you, tell, say, how can you argue God, right? So anyway, this lady's talking to me one time. 
And she says, I was on my way to whatever messianic place she was going on Shabbat. And she said, the Spirit of God told me to go into Walmart and shop. Right? So the Spirit of God is telling her, I want you to purposely violate my Sabbath. And uh, apparently she said the reason she was told to go into the Walmart and shop is because there was some lady in the aisle that she felt like she had an opportunity to minister to. So it's very convoluted. I don't have to go into y'all. Y'all are extremely intelligent people. You can already see the problem. But I just wanted that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So it says in verse 18 of yesterday's Alian. By the way, along with not being led by your emotions, is to resist having a drama-led life. You know, like every five minutes is, is a major catastrophe in your life. You know, every five seconds, you've got to put a significant prayer request on Facebook to publicize to the entire world. Um, please pray for me. I'm having this problem. Please pray for me this. If your life is strewn with drama, now we all have issues from time to time. Absolutely. We all have things that happen. But if your life is a constant uh, horror movie of drama, you need to get delivered. You need to make tshuva. And there's something wrong in your life. Our, our lives are not supposed to be one frame after another of constant drama. Um, and refrain, by the way, from posting those kinds of things in a public forum like Facebook. Something really like, I mean, share that with your, like a private page, maybe, like the Eshes Chayil page that we that the Rebetzin oversees, or the um, Sar Shalom Sisterhood page, maybe something like that in a private form. But don't put it out there uh, as a public uh, for all the world to see. That's just not, it's a little tov, I think. But anyway, that's my opinion. It says in verse 18, you must appoint judges and sheriffs for yourself in all your cities. Um, it says the word used for cities here literally means gates. So I just love this insight. This is an insight from the Cahill too much. It says allegorically then, this verse can be interpreted to refer to the gates of the body, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the mouth through which uh, uh, through which stimuli from the external world enter our bodies and personal world. The verse thus requires us to station judges and sheriffs to guard those gates against the intrusion of any stimuli that could be detrimental to our spiritual health. So we, we have to guard. We have to guard what we see. We have to guard what we listen to. <clears throat> we have to guard the conversations we uh um, come in contact with uh, that includes a great many things but the the idea and we could go and talk about that at length but the idea being that we just have to be we have to be guarded and that to a great extent is what Torah does uh, for us is it present it, pr it provides a guard um, a guard uh, for our our heart our eyes our ears etc now I want to share a couple more insights here um, let's see here. There's an insight from Rabbi Monk's commentary. I, I, here's what Rabbi Monk says about um, justice in general. 
It says, you shall not respect someone, someone's presence. This is from, uh, what is this, verse 19. It says, Judaism gives the concept of justice infinitely greater importance than did any other ancient philosophy, which accepted the stratification of society. Although men are subject to inequities in their nature and abilities, each individual has an equal worth before the court of law. A person must never be regarded as an object or commodity, must, but must be respected as a human being. So Judaism is the origin of the concept of justice. I was watching a little uh, short clip yesterday, and uh, it was a tribute, uh, this particular clip, uh, actually it was, a, it was a fundraising clip for Chabad, but it was talking about the Rebbe. Um, who was not the Messiah, but but a, but a, a very great rabbi, a great man, a great leader, and uh, from whom much can be learned with from the standpoint of Jewish practice and leadership. But they were talking about the Rebbe, and when he was ninety-two years old, I believe they said, he stood for many many hours, something to the effect of eight hours, while people were coming one by one, and he was passing out. Um, uh, dollar bills, you know, to give for charity and receiving everybody, everybody was receiving this a, a very brief blessing. And so one lady, it said, came up to him and she just couldn't contain herself. She said, how can you do this? You're an elderly man. You're standing here for eight hours on your feet, not in a chair on your feet. How can you do this without getting too tired? And I, they 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 quoted what he said to this lady, and I thought, wow, what a really great uh, way of looking at it and that Hashem should give us all. He said that every soul is like a diamond. So how could somebody get tired of counting diamonds or sifting through diamonds? So I thought that was a very, very... Um, wonderful way to look at each and every person. Each and every person is a diamond. Everybody has the... Some people are diamonds in the rough. But everybody, every diamond in the rough has the potential of being polished, molded, shaped into a very beautiful uh, diamond. And some diamonds have, uh, not to get off on the diamond analogy, but some diamonds... Uh, are meant to be uh, worn as beautiful jewelry. And some diamonds are used for other things, like for saws and things like that, that cut uh, into stone. Everybody has a purpose, in other words. Every di diamond is valuable. So it also says, righteous, righteousness, you shall pursue. Why is the word tzedakah, righteousness, repeated? It's because not only must justice be done, but it must be achieved in a way and, or excuse me, in a just way, not through injustice, inappropriate means. The Torah teaches the principle that, that the end does not justify the means. So we have to pursue justice, but we have to do pursue justice uh, in a way that uh, is just. So we're... There's a mention here, and, and I don't know if we'll get to it today, but there's a discussion here about social justice, which is a very uh, popular thing among leftists and socialists. 
uh, in our country today. Um, it's per- that idea of social justice is completely perverted. Judaism believes in social justice, absolutely, but only in the confines and in, in, in the context and framework of Torah. Now, a couple of things here I want to get to because I don't want to run out of time before I say this because I mentioned how I love rabbinic commentary, but there's times at which I, I don't agree with every single word of it. I'm not uh, a blind follower, as it were. Um, and just like Yeshua taught, don't, don't be, don't, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. Don't be like that person. Yeshua taught us to be obedient to the authorities. And he's talking here about the Sanhedrin, not just every single rabbi who's ever lived, but to, to the Sanhedrin. But at the same time, we're not supposed to be blind, blindly led. We have to, when it's appropriate, make a stand. So anyway, here's a couple of things. So I love Rabbi Monk, as many of you know, he's probably my most favorite commentator. But he's talking here about not, uh, this is in reference to not erecting a pillar for ourselves. He also, he also is talking, the Torah says, don't plant for yourself an idolatrous tree, you know, such as one in your living room. <laughs> During December. Um, uh, by the way, uh, during the month of October, when that horrible Halloween holiday is going on, and then later in December during Xmas, every one of you should try a little, uh, a little, um, endeavor. I don't know what you call it. I'm going to last lost for words today for some reason, but anyway, you should jump on Facebook during those two holidays and look at the Wiccan Facebook page. Now, there might be one, more than one, but the Wiccan, yes, I said Wiccan, Facebook page. And just see how they celebrate those two holidays, and you'll be shocked. Because it's exactly the same way that everybody else celebrates them. Um, so anyway, it says, some practices are forbidden to us. Not because of any inherent evil, but because they are hukat hagoyim, practices of the nations. Here we learn this prohibition applies also to an object used by Jews, but which had subsequently been taken over by non-Jews for their religion. It follows then that playing an organ in a synagogue should be forbidden even though musical instruments had been utilized by Jews in the temple. Now, there's the first part of this is absolutely correct. The last part of it is flawed. The first part of it is that some practices are forbidden to us, not because they're necessarily inherent in evil, but because they are practices of the other nations. That's that's a true statement. Some things are just because they're inherent to the nation, we shouldn't do them. Not necessarily because they're evil, but because that's just what they do. Okay? But the other part is flawed, where it says that something that's taken up that's co-opted and taken over by Gentiles that was originally Jewish, we should abandon just because they've done that. That is a flawed concept. And it mentions here playing an organ in a synagogue, and the reason that the organ is mentioned because that just is typical of the instrument uh, in worship services at the time. Now, he points out that the musical instruments were used in the temple. I'm glad he does because this completely destroys the concept that God doesn't want musical instruments played on Shabbat. 
completely destroys it. Why? Because in the temple, musical instruments were played on Shabbat. And if you look at Psalm 92, which is the psalm for the Sabbath, it specifically says, play musical instruments. And I wrote a whole uh, response about why we have music on Shabbat and how it is absolutely 100% not against any halakha. Uh, but you got to go there and read that. It's on our, uh, on our webpage. I don't have time to get in all of that. But I wanted to point out why this is it's one of those comments where I disagree. Why? Because if we followed what he just said here, where if, if a practice is co-opted by the Gentiles, we're supposed to abandon it. That would mean that we should no longer wear kippahs because the Muslims wear kippahs. That our women should no longer cover their hair. Why? Because Muslims cover their hair. We should no longer light candles on Friday night. Why? Because... The pagans light candles in their churches and in their in their um, to the to their statues. They light candles for a whole host of other reasons and so on. We should no longer light a candle, which is a custom of Judaism, uh, uh, when we are doing the yatzert for someone who's passed away, because that's precisely what non-Jews do. They light candles, not all non-Jews, of course, but in some cases they light candles to remember the dead. There's candlelight vigils and so on. Um, th- there's a whole host of things. So uh, just, just to point this out, that we have to be careful. This is why um, I wrote a note to myself here where just we need balance. We need balance in our, in our walk and balance uh, in our um, discussion. There's also a, a comment in here where Rashi makes and says, uh, let me see if I can find it right quick. Uh, where did it go? Ah. You shall not deviate from the word that they will tell you to the right or the left, talking about the judges. Um, Rashi brings down that he says, and again, I love Rashi. Rashi is a great commentator, but again, Rashi's words, his, his, his opinions, just like the opinions of Paul, they're just that. They're the opinions of, a, of great rabbis, of great men, but they're not God's holy word. Right? Paul's opinion is not God's holy word. Paul's opinion about whatever he's, uh, you know, opining about is not holy writ. Same thing with Rashi. So Rashi's saying here, you must obey the decisions rendered by the court, even if you are convinced it's wrong. Now there's, I mean, it says here, if you're told, even if they tell you that right is left and left is right, you have to obey. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Now, I can't do that if what they're telling me is clearly against the way of God. Clearly against the way of God. Okay? Now, you have to be careful about that. You have to approach it, uh, you know, from a Jewish framework. And Like, when I write a response, like I did about music, I used halakha to combat the custom. You understand what I mean? You have to approach it from the right standpoint. In other words, you have to make a legal argument to confront a legal argument, but... You can't just say, well, I, I just don't want to do it. Why? I, I disagree with it. Why? Because I don't want to do it. That's not how you do it. But at the same time, the Talmud Yerushalayim comes along and says, actually, no. You have to follow the judgment only if what they tell you is right, when they say right is right and left is left. So we even have the Talmud Yerushalayim coming along and actually refuting, actually, Talmud Yerushalayim, excuse me, was centuries before Rashi, but the point being is that it refutes that idea. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, this is why 
you need a rabbi because you need to be able to sift through these kinds of things and make these determinations uh, from a standpoint of Torah law and logic and, and not just uh, blindly following. And you can't say, well, you know, I knew it was wrong, but they told me to do it, so therefore I'm just like, nah, it doesn't work that way. More tomorrow. End of our Haliyah. We're out of time, but not out of content. I'm going to talk tomorrow about Tikkun Olam. There's a really great uh, concept here about what that means. What is the biblical Jewish view of social justice as opposed to the fake social justice we have in our modern time? Until then, be blessed. Stay, uh, stay joyful. Don't forget to read a, a, a chapter of Proverbs every single day. So today is the second chapter of Proverbs as we're going through the 40 days of Teshuvah, the 40 days of uh, wisdom for those of us in the Lapid Jewish community. Be blessed, be awesome, and uh, enjoy your day off if you have a day off. Uh, go out and uh, do a little uh, shopping and running around or whatever. I'm going to go home and uh, mow the lawn. That is my great tikkun for the afternoon. <laughs> Shalom and blessings. See you tomorrow.